All right, completing the trifecta on the Geno Green experience, a podcast that we've been doing over the last 24 hours, is Ben Steele, beat writer for Marquette for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Ben, how's life in Texas? Oh, man, we made it to March Madness, Gino. I love it. We're in person this year. Last time I, we, we did this last year, we get, we were excited about having games again. But uh, we were all still at home. But this time, we're back, baby. Games are in person. I was out at uh, the arena today. Uh, pretty nice arena, actually. Dickey's Arena in, in beautiful Fort Worth here. It's a pretty nice venue. Um, doesn't look like much from outside, but the inside is, is beautiful. So I'm looking forward to this. Looking forward to the games tomorrow. It's going to be great. Yeah, great slate of games tomorrow afternoon. And the one we're going to focus on is the 9-8 matchup, which is Marquette and North Carolina. And North Carolina comes in as the 8 seed. Marquette comes in as the 9, if I'm not mistaken. Hopefully I'm not screwing that part of it up. Nope, that's right. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. I just want to make sure you know, I've been looking at brackets the last 24 hours. I was like, hey, I hope I got the right seating correctly because I've been doing multiple podcasts. So, so great. That's good to know. Um, North Carolina Marquette, you would think, have not played in the last 40 years. But in reality, thanks to COVID last year, Marquette and North Carolina did play in a scrambled, put-together game because of cancellations. Marquette went to North Carolina and Chapel Hill, obviously with no fans, and Marquette beat North Carolina in what was a somewhat forgettable year that led to the firing of Wojo. But now we fast forward a year, NCAA tournament. we got fans at Dickey's Arena tomorrow in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Things didn't end the way it wanted to for Marquette. Kind of had another slide again almost. In North Carolina, they had a run towards the end, highlighted by being Duke and spoiling Coach K's last home game. Man, like – Something's got to give here. You got North Carolina's bigs and Brady Manick and Armando Baycott, but you got Marquette, who has multiple players they can attack with, but primarily Justin Lewis is the main target. What what what's something's got to give, Ben? What's going to happen in this matchup tomorrow? Yeah, I mean the, the obvious thing that jumps out is is the rebounding. Marquette's had lots of games this season where they where they've gotten out rebound, especially giving up offensive rebounds, and that's where Armando Baycott's at his best. I mean the dude. He's a big dude, and he averages twelve point five rebounds a game. You know that's the that's the biggest matchup mismatch for Marquette. Marquette's gonna have to figure that out. Whether that's you know sending guards down to help block him out on uh, on the defensive end, or you know a lot of games where Marquette's kind of overcome their disadvantages on the rebounding edge. Uh, they've just overcome it by bombing away from three-point land and, and just being better on offense than, you know, the, than having the rebounding hurt them on the defensive end. Um, but Marquette's kind of come down to earth as far as three-point shooting during their recent late-season slide. Um, so they're going to need guys to, to hit shots to because I, I don't know how they're going to keep the UNC and Baycott from, from getting those second-chance points. So they're going to have to overcome it in some way. Um, and I think there's going to be shots to be had. This isn't like a great defensive North Carolina team. Um, so I think there's going to be open shots. And Greg Elliott, Cam Jones, those guys are going to have to knock down shots if they get those good looks. I'm glad you brought up the defensive point of it because that was going to be the next topic here. For as good as North Carolina is, that is their one weakness, in particular Brady Manick. He's had some great games this season. He showed out against Duke. But the one thing that a lot of uh, teams have been able to focus on, why they kind of had their little slide early in ACC play, is the fact that Brady Manick is basically a non-factor on defense. 
I feel yeah. like this is a position where you could see if timing works out and everything plays out the way it is, you could see players like a Daryl Morsell that likes to cut to the round, get yeah. some opportunities. Even Justin Lewis. Yeah. There's a there's potential for them to kind of run through this weakness here and kind of attack a little bit more in the paint. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like, And those guys, like North Carolina starters, play most of the game. They don't play their bench guys hardly at all, just spot minutes here and there. And, yeah, I was trying to think, like, you know, Brady Maddox so key to what they do on offense. He's a good shooter and he's a good passer. Uh, but, yeah, like you mentioned, he's a liability on the defensive end. And I was trying to figure out who they're going to put him on, you know. Um, you know, you can't put him on Justin Lewis. That's a bad mismatch from the start. Um, you know, Maddox on, on a shorter, quicker guy like Marcel, that's not going to work. I was thinking maybe they they would stick him on the center, Kirk Clef. Incidentally, they play together at Oklahoma, the former teammates. Uh, but then that opens him up to to putting that putting Brady Manick in pick and roll situations when he's not good at, and and Kerr's like a really good lob threat out of those pick and roll situations. Um, so yeah, I mean maybe they might stick him on just like Omax Prosper, uh, but Omax is like a pretty quick guy himself. So yeah, there's no no real good place to stick. Manic defensively for, for North Carolina. That's going to be really interesting. That's definitely one of the things besides offensive rebounding that we'll be watching like right off the bat from the, at the start tomorrow. You mentioned the Oklahoma connection. You were at uh, practices today, at press conferences. Was that brought up by any of the coaches or players? Yeah, yeah. I talked to both those guys, and uh, they didn't seem like they were – they're, I don't think they're friends right now, but they're, it's kind of respectful. Like I asked her if he had any back and forth with Brady Maddock, if once they figured out the matchups that they were going to be playing each other. And he just said, I haven't talked to him since I left Oklahoma, but he was like pretty respectful. I just, I don't, I don't think they're friends, but they were just former teammates and Brady Maddock was pretty um, complimentary toward Kerr as like a teammate. He said he loved playing with them. I just, don't think they have a relationship now, but it, it was definitely respectful, I think. Yeah, yeah, respect indeed. And focusing on Marquette a little bit more here in this matchup, how vital will Tyler Kolek be to the success of them being able to pull off a win here in this first-round matchup, given the fact that he's kind of been very in and out the last few weeks, hasn't really been a presence as much as he has been when they had their winning streak back in January? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Tyler's, if you ask any of the coaching staff of Marquette, like Tyler's key to what they do. When Marquette's been at its best, they've been sharing the ball and have high assist numbers, like 20 or more assists in games. They've, they've done that several times, uh, especially during that winning streak, like you mentioned. And that starts with Tyler at, as the point guard. Um, but teams kind of started to figure him out. They, they're not helping off uh, uh, off his drives, off of – off of Marquette teammates, not opening up any passes for him, kind of making Tyler Kolick into a scorer, like, which isn't his, his forte, especially around the rim. He's kind of struggled finishing around the rim. Um, so he's going to have to find counters to the, to, to those kind of defenses. Cause I'm sure North Carolina studied that. I'm sure they're going to do something similar. Um, but you know, he, he's there, there's been signs of life with Tyler the last couple games. I think in, in each of the last two games, he's had six assists. Um, so that's kind of what Marquette wants. I mean, if Tyler's having a good game assist-wise, that, that's when Marquette's at its best offensively. Yeah, that's where they could be at its best indeed. 
But something to watch out for in tomorrow's games, and you've witnessed this a lot as the one who's been covering every game this season, foul trouble. How yeah. can Marquette stay out of foul trouble against a team like North Carolina who relies mostly on bigs? Yeah, I mean, you look at trying to stop Baycott on the glass. Um, they got Kirkweth and they got Oso Iguodaro up, two skinny guys. Uh, Kerr's battled some foul trouble. Um, Oso's not a guy that, that logs a lot of heavy minutes, and he's skinny too, so he gets pushed around a little bit. Then after that, sometimes, you know, if they get in foul trouble, sometimes they, they put Justin Lewis at, at the center position, and he's big and strong, like he can handle that. Uh, I don't know if he can handle a guy like Baycott. So, yeah, after those guys, there's not, not many options for Marquette, so they're going to have to have those guys on the court. Like, foul trouble would be a, a major issue for them. Well, we talked about it earlier about the depth issues of North Carolina. Marquette has some depth off its bench, and we've seen some of the players rise to the occasion in Big East play, particularly in the second half of Big East play. How critical would it be for players like an Omax or Nigadaro or even a, a David Joplin to a lesser extent yeah. to be able to come in and provide some critical minutes off the bench to kind of alleviate the stress off the starters? Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm looking at, like, Greg Elliott, you know, as a guy that's a sharpshooter. Um, you know, he was at, like, Greg was at 50% on threes for most of the season. Like, he was started out hot, kept, stayed hot most of the season. But the last, I think, four or five games, he's, like, five for 20 or, or something along those lines. His numbers really fell off dramatically. So, if he's hitting shots off the bench, that's – obviously really good for, for Marquette and, and David Joplin's a guy that that's a wild card. He's a really good shooter, um, gets spot minutes here and there as a freshman. Um, they're bringing Cam Jones off the bench. Now they, they've kind of alternated him and Omax in the starting lineup. Um, and Cam Jones was the kind of guy that, uh, I kind of pointed to before the postseason as kind of an X factor because he can get hot and, and score points in a hurry. You know, he can drop five threes and, and, seven or eight minutes. Um, he's not shy about putting it up, so he's not going to be afraid of the moment. Um, so he, he's a guy that, that's kind of be, be a breakout, X-factor type of guy. Uh, they play Stevie Mitchell a fair amount off the bench, and he's like more of a defensive-minded uh, point guard. Um, they might need him, you know. You're talking about playing, you know, a really quick point guard like R.J. Davis at, at, at UNC. Stevie Mitchell could be a guy that comes in and, and, and slows him down if, if R.J. Davis gets hot from the field because Stevie's got really quick feet and he's, he's good defensively, keeping up with those kind of quick guards. Um, so Marquette's got a lot more options off, off the bench than, than North Carolina does. I think that's a, a big advantage for them. For those that might not be listening on this podcast and have not followed Big East basketball a lot this season, we were at Big East Media Day back in October at Madison Square Garden. And you remember when we all found out where Marquette was slated at in the media polls for the Big um, East uh, preseason rankings, and they were yeah. slated to finish ninth. Ninth. Talk about how Shaka Smart has been able to maximize what he what he's been able to get out of these players, and be able to even get this far to make the NCAA tournament, to be in a spot like this, to play on a Thursday afternoon at three thirty p.m. Central in Texas. Yeah, it's funny when I think about that Big East media day. I've written about this, and I mentioned this on, on a couple of podcasts and radio shows, that when I asked uh, Daryl Marcel that day about coaches picking Marquette to finish ninth, he was like, 
legitimately upset about it, man. He said it was like laughable that that the coaches picked Marquette to to finish ninth. He knew he kind of knew that there was enough talent there, and I think Shaka did too. That there was enough that if if the if the pieces if they could get the pieces just to fit together, then I think they 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 kind of figured they would have a good team, and and we saw like right off the bat. Against Illinois in November, you know, November 15th. I think it was the third game of the season for Marquette. And they upset them. You know, Kofi Coburn didn't play in that game, but still it was a big kind of confidence booster early in the season. And they kind of built off that. And then they hit that seven-game winning streak in January where they, you know, swept sweet Seton Hall. They won at Philadelphia at Fenneran Pavilion where not a lot of teams come away victorious. And, and they were – super confident then and they kind of showed that they could could play with anybody and then they kind of lost the edge a little bit down the stretch of the season then but the the team that is uh on that winning streak in january it's in there somewhere and they just need to to find that edge i think a couple players mentioned this that they played uh with an underdog edge because they were playing all those top teams in january um so they played with a little more connectivity on that that edge a little bit um and I think maybe they, they could they could find that here in March because they're going to be underdogs the rest of the way now because they're, they're underdogs against North Carolina. If they manage to win this game, they're obviously going to be super underdogs against against Baylor. So maybe they could tap into that underdog spirit a little bit. Yeah, you mentioned the draw they have here as I smell some good barbecue out here on this warm Wednesday evening. <laughs> it's got me thinking about the what-if scenario, so you kind of played off on it a little bit. Let's just say Marquette wins this game, and they end up playing Baylor in the second round. It will be very interesting because Baylor has been able to sustain even after the loss of JTT when he got hurt. Mm-hmm. But what do you think are their chances if they were to draw them in the round of 32? Yeah, it'd be, I mean, that, that would be a great matchup. Um, they've had a few injuries, like LJ Cryer, one of their best scorers, has been out. Um, and, you know, Shaka and his coaching staff's got a pretty good familiarity with Baylor just from being at Texas. And, and so they, they probably know their tendencies a little bit. So that probably gives Marquette a little edge. Uh, be interesting to see Justin Lewis going up against uh, Baylor's got a couple of really athletic forwards. Um, uh, what's Sohan, Jeremy Sohan and uh, uh, Kendall, uh, who Marquette actually recruited a little bit, Kendall Brown. Um, so it, it I would imagine, I'd expect Baylor to win that game, but I think it would be it would be pretty interesting. I think Marquette would have some, maybe a little bit of success again. But I would expect Baylor to win, but it would definitely be interesting. And for Big East fans that are listening on here, there's some flavor too for Baylor. They have James Akenjo, yeah. who used to be with Georgetown. Yeah, way back, old friend, old Big East friend, James Akenjo from years ago. <laughs> that was before UConn, so that's old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. UConn, Arizona. He's been he's had a quite a circuitous uh, college career. Yeah, he has. But that's a lot of players these days, especially yeah. now with COVID. You have the extra COVID years. It's kind of norm now in college hoops. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's March Madness. I feel like that's enough time that we we have put together for Marquette, North Carolina. I say, you know, let's get these games going tomorrow. And people are wondering where they could follow you at for live coverage of tomorrow's Marquette, North Carolina game in Texas. Where can they follow you on Twitter? Yep, I'm 
at Ben Steele, MJS, B-E-N-S-T-E-E-L-E, MJS. MJS stands for Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, so if you go to the Journal Sentinel website, all the stories are there. Uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm going to go get some Texas barbecue, throw down a couple beers, and then just be ready to get uh, get these games going tomorrow. Yeah, man. I'm, me and you, we're both... Both excited, ecstatic. I get to watch at home tomorrow, like everybody else, every other fan. And then for me, Friday morning, we make that trip up to Milwaukee on the Hiawatha and go cover Beautiful Yale Fiserv. Purdue. Beautiful Pfizer Forum. Yeah. It'll be awesome. Yes, it'll be awesome, man. So looking forward to watching the games tomorrow, looking forward to your coverage. And I'm sure our paths might cross again before the season ends. I got a feeling. All right. All right. Sounds good, man. All right, thank you for coming on, Ben. All right, appreciate you, man.